want to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And um, we've been walking through the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And um, man, it's been, uh, it's been so, a couple weeks of some pretty intense sermons. There was a lot of things going on in Corinth that Paul had to deal with that, that man, really relate to our culture, our society, the things that we're going through and, and dealing with. And, and today continues in that. And so I begin with a little bit of a parental advisory. Uh, there's mature content in this and not in a gratuitous way and not in a, in a graphic way, but in a way that uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, the idolatry that our culture has placed on sex. And um, it's not something that um, we rush to talk about in church. It's one of those things that when you get a pastor who likes to talk about a little too much, it's a little cringy. You know, you're kind of like, yeah. Like, bro, like, just he's back a little, right? But, but the reality is, is that, um, that in our culture, it's everywhere, and our culture is screaming about it constantly, and so if the church doesn't talk about it, then all that we're receiving is what the culture has to say about it, and we're not getting the balance of what, of what God's Word has to say about it. And so, uh, man, if you got kids with you, obviously you uh, 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 <laughs> judge whether they're ready for this content, but man, by the age of like 13, 14, 15, they're getting a lot of content about it, and, um, and there should be a balance of, of biblical content that is involved with it as well. Um, it's really about aiming at the right thing, and um, you know, um, what we're dealing with today is, is as I said, it's, it's, it's not just sex, but it's the idolatry of sex. It's, idolatry is whenever we take a created thing and we make it into the ultimate thing. We take something that is good and, and bad and on its own merits, and we try and put it in the place of God. And over and over again, the reason that God commands us against idolatry is because it's bad for us, and it never works, right? That thing that we put all that weight on can never hold the weight that only God is meant to hold. And uh, so it could be anything. Uh, today we're going to talk about sex. It could be your kids, right? If you, if you put all that weight on your kids and say, you are my purpose, you are my meaning, like my life is nothing without you. Uh, if, if you fail, I'm, I'm devastated, right? Like if that's what you put on your kids, uh, are they going to be able to hold up under the weight of that, right? Like nobody wants to bear the weight that only God should bear. And so, um, so the other thing that happens when we, when we engage in idolatry is there's a polarization. The worship thing all of a sudden is either praised as the ultimate good or it's rejected as pure evil, right? They look at the thing that's being worshiped and they're like, that's a horrible thing or that's the best thing. But the reality is, is it's, it's a created thing that has a use and a purpose, but, um, but when it's made into an idol, it, it loses that. And so Paul's going to deal with that. And uh, man, this is like, you know, what, I forget what show that is where it's like ripped from the headlines, right? But that's what this, this letter could have been written to a church uh, in Horsham, PA today, and he would have been saying a lot of the exact same things. So it's incredibly relevant for us um, um, and necessary. And man, my hope all week uh, and my prayer has been that this would be a helpful sermon. I don't want this to be a condemning sermon. I don't want this to be a confusing sermon. I don't want this to be an entertaining sermon. I really want this to be a helpful sermon because I think there's some things in here that is going to help marriages. It's going to help people that are single. It's going to help those that are looking for a spouse. It's, uh, it's going to help those that are grieving the loss. Right? There's, there's helpful things about God's design and plan that I'm hoping will be a real blessing uh, to you today if you'll... Uh, if you embrace it. So let's just take a moment and pray that God would open our hearts to hear what he wants us to say in his word uh, this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's a gift. Uh, we treasure it. We value it. We don't worship it. Uh, we don't worship the Bible. We worship you. 
Um, but, but we're so grateful to have the Bible as a, an indicator of, of who you are. Like the girl said in the video, she felt your love, but she didn't know who you were yet. And she had to, to seek you out to find you in, in, in Scripture. And so that's what we're here to do today, God. We've, we've felt some tangible touch of your love, but we want to know you more perfectly. And I pray that you will open our hearts to receive what you would have to say to us individually this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an important thing when we open the Bible to come with expectation. Like, God, I expect that you're going to say something to me that's going to change the way that I live, right? We're not just studying an ancient character. We're, it's a living document that speaks into our life. And so... Um, Ultimately, what we're going to look at is the effects of sexual idolatry in, in kind of three discussions. One is related to married couples. One is related to those who are unmarried, singles, uh, those that have been widowed. Um, and then we're also going to look at, at divorce and how that relates to these things um, within God's picture for, um, for how sex is meant to be viewed. And so it begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. He says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And uh, so some of you right now are like, yes, thank you. I knew it said somewhere in Scripture that I have authority over my spouse's body, and I didn't know where that was, so I'm going to bookmark this, and I'm going to pull it out in the next argument, right? Um, that's not a good takeaway today. If that's where you're at, keep listening, right, that we, we didn't arrive. Um, really, uh, understand that originally this is written in Greek, and so we don't have the, 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 the quotation marks, all the, all the punctuation and stuff that helps us kind of understand. And so the passage is a little bit tricky, but what he's ultimately doing is he's responding to um, a letter that he had received from the Corinthians. The Corinthians said, hey, we have a bunch of things that we want to ask you questions about. And conveniently, it seems they left out in their letter like, oh, yeah, there's incest going on, and we're taking each other to court and suing each other. They didn't mention all those things, but, but they did have a list of like safer things they could ask Paul about. And one of them uh, is, is this polarization that we talked about where they said, hey, uh, sex is so abused in our culture, should we just stop altogether? Should like married people not even have sex? Should we just like completely abandon ship altogether and just forget the whole thing? Is it just purely evil and should we just, uh, just forget about it? And, and Paul says, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, there's one way of, um, of dishonoring uh, God's gift, God's creation is by, uh, by, by abusing it, by using it in ways that it wasn't meant to be used, uh, right? And so, so sex outside of marriage uh, in any context is, is an abuse of what God's gift was meant to be, and that's wrong. But within marriage, to completely abandon sex, to withhold and, and, to, and, to, and to turn your back on it and reject it is also a dishonoring of the gift that God has given. And so, so we, as Christians, we're not in an either-or thing. It's a completely different direction. And it's not like this balance, like, okay, hate it, but do it, right? That's not, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it's a completely different way. There's, there's a completely different way to think about it and to approach it. The problem isn't sex itself. It's the idolatry uh, that comes with it. Um, 
And so, so many books, if you uh, do premarital counseling or whatever, they'll talk about God's purpose in creating this gift. And one is for procreation. It's, it's to reproduce. It's to make children, right? And um, if, you came, if you grew up in a Catholic background, that was highly emphasized, right? Like, this, <laughs> this is why this happens. Like, uh, make sure that it happens, right? Um, it's interesting that in this letter here, Paul doesn't actually mention that at all. And so while that is a significant purpose, it's not the only purpose. And, and you could walk away from this saying it's maybe not even the primary purpose, um, and, and we could get into a side discussion about that, right? But, but what Paul emphasizes here is a second P, which is for protection. He says, you're given this gift in your marriage relationship um, to protect each other, to protect each other from temptation, to protect each other from seeking fulfillment in some other way that is not part of God's plan. And so part of it is to protect your spouse um, from t- other temptations. Um, now, many people say that the third P uh, would be pleasure, and, uh, and that the guy gave it to us to enjoy. And I've even taught that in premarital counseling. But as I studied through this this week, I I'm, I'm think in our culture, while I don't completely disagree with that, um, that can easily be turned into a selfish motivation, right? That it's all about me. It's all about what I can get out of it. It's, it becomes very transactional. And that's not at all the picture uh, that God is trying to paint. And that's not all the intent of his gift. And so I prefer a different P for the third P. I prefer that it's a symbol of the promise, that we've made. At its best, this is a gift that God gives to a married couple, to a man and woman, uh, as a symbol of the covenant relationship that they've made to one another. Uh, a covenant is so different than a, than a transaction, right? A transaction is exchange of goods for services, right? So it's like, uh, it's like hey, we're going to use this, uh, uh, we're going to use sex as like the, uh, the, the financial fluid uh, 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 of our economy here, right? And so if it's, it's been a, a good week and you took out the trash and everything was good and, and you picked up the kids, then, then I'm going to repay you with this. Or if you, you made great meals and whatever, I'm not assuming it won't direction or the other, right? But, but it becomes this sort of barter and exchange system. And that's not what a marriage is meant to be at all. A marriage is meant to be a covenant relationship that says, I am promising and vowing to love you no matter what, and to love you for all the changes that God brings about you. And, and I enter into it knowing that you're not a perfect person and I'm not a perfect person. And there will be no perfect day in our marriage. And yet when we come together, it's a reminder that we made this covenant to love each other. And to show the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, uh, the unity of Christ as an example in our marriage. Like at its best, that's what it's meant to be. And so for married couples that are in here today, uh, that's a question. Is that... Well, when you come together as a, as a married couple, is that what is being depicted? Is that, is that what is evidenced um, by, by, the, by your sex life? I was trying to find another word. I couldn't find it, so I just said it. <laughs> and let's be honest. Like for, right, for most couples, you'd be like, no, that's not it at all, right? Why is that? Well, the reason is because we've embraced the culture's picture of this. And so the culture has this really uh, graphic, specific picture of what this is meant to be, and it's forbidden, and it's dangerous, and it's risky, and it's, um, it's reckless. And so we have these thoughts and desires that are put into us. I mean, it's part of our flesh, but it's partly fueled by the culture. And we have that, and we say as Christians, like, oh, no, that's bad. Don't do any of that stuff. Um, but then once you get married, just bring all that junk and baggage and throw it into a marriage, and now it's good. Now it's redeemed. Now all that stuff is like, it's a-okay with God, right? That's obviously not the right way to, to look at it, right? That when we get saved, that, that God needs to redeem our view of like what this is. And, um, um, and some of you are going to find this really helpful, and some of you are going to be, uh, but, but 
a picture of, of the way that a, a husband and wife's relationship is meant to be. It's, a, it's this picture of, of grace, of mercy, of selflessness, of understanding. It should, be, it should be unifying. And Paul says it should be consistent. It should be regular. It shouldn't be special occasion, right? It shouldn't be like, hey, it's got to be honeymoon night or nothing, right? It should be just a regular part of your married life together that's a continual reminder of the, the promise that you made to each other and the unique bond that only the two of you have. And that's why it's so dangerous when we take it outside of the context of marriage because then something that's meant to be a bond within a covenant in a safe place that will be protected for all time till death do you part, that, that, that symbol of that is given to somebody else without the meaning, with, with, without the safety of the covenant, but, but then with that, with that connection, that bond. And that's why there's so often, uh, and you guys know this and you've experienced it and, and, and you've seen it in, in people, right, that um, when, pe- when couples go to that level outside of marriage, it becomes really hard to end a relationship even when they know they should end it. Right, because this sort of this bond has been created without the safety of the covenant. I promise you, God is not trying to stop your fun in any way, but He wants you to experience the joys of what He's created in the way that He made it and created it. And anything less than that is going to be dissatisfying. It's not ultimately going to fulfill you. So, beginning with the married couples, I would ask you this: What what does the state of your intimacy say about your covenant relationship with one another? What, what is the picture? What are you communicating to your spouse by the way that you approach this? Are the things that you need to repent of? Um, and, and I would encourage you that the, the, the problem is not that you're in violation of a command that's given here in this scripture. A lot of times what the issue is is that you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart, right? Maybe there's, there's something that, that one did to another, and I know there's a million different uh, pictures of this. <laughs> I know there's a million different ways that this plays out. I'm not saying it's easy. But, I, but I'm saying that um, to just shut down shop and say, like, you know what, that's not part of our marriage anymore, is, is just to avoid the problem. And, and God wants you to love your spouse enough to say, like, hey, we're going to do the hard work of working through this problem until we get to a place where our relationship is where, where it should be, where we really are unified and that we can come together and enjoy. And, um, and, and I would encourage you to do that hard work. It is worthy work. It's worth doing. It, 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 it's not about uh, the physical connection as much as it is about the picture of Christ in your marriage. Um, and so I would encourage you to, to think and pray about how he might be working on you in that. Some of you are like, all right, let's move to the next part. All right. Now as a concession, verse 6, he says, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Here's what we know at this point. Paul was single. He was doing his ministry as a single man. We don't know if he'd previously been married and maybe his wife had died. We, uh, we just don't really know what the story is. But we do know that at this point, Paul is single. And, and look at what he says. It's pretty amazing. He says, um, uh, I'm not saying this is a command, but I am saying that I wish that all of you were single like me. But each one has his own gift from God. And so he refers to singleness as a gift. And I know for you single people out there, you're like, yeah, I've heard this one, right? Like all of your friends are like, well, man, maybe you're just blessed with the gift of singleness. And like, you know, and that is not encouraging or helpful for a single person, I can, I can tell you, uh, for you to speculate about their gifting, right? Um, but the reality is, is this, that for some people, 
um, uh, that is an incredible blessing and a gift. And it's something that should be embraced. And it should be, you shouldn't feel um, less than. You shouldn't feel unfulfilled. You shouldn't feel um, like you have to defend or explain that. If that's what God has called you to, that's a gift. And Paul says, in his view, it's a preferable gift. Um, and, and I'm not going to steal Keith's thunder because he's preaching next week and these, these passages go together. But, uh, man, if you're single, I would really encourage you to come back next week because Keith's going to really get into why singleness can really be a gift uh, into your life and into your, into your meaning and your purpose. And, um, and, and, man, there's some powerful things that Paul says about it. Uh, it's not a gift for everyone, though. And he said some, there are some people who are single who probably should get married, right? It's, it's better to get married than to, to burn with with lust, and so we get back to this protection thing, but it's, it's more than that. Um, and so what I would encourage you is, um, uh, if you're here and you're single, but you want to be married, you're unhappily single, I would encourage you to think about, hey, what's driving the way that I think about the spouse that I want? For younger people that, you know, are, are moving towards that state. When you think about who's, who's the kind of person that God would want me to marry? Um, man, if you're looking to, to TV, <laughs> to movies... Uh, to, to describe what that person is going to look like, you're, you're going to miss the mark. Um, God's picture of a marriage is this beautiful covenant relationship where, um, where, where men, there's this call for you to lead uh, boldly and courageously and protectively in your home. And so you got to look and say, who's, who's a woman that I would want to spend my life with and that we could do things together and it would be an honor to, to love her and serve her and protect her and care for her? Women, there's this call to like biblical... Uh, submission to your husband. And so don't marry a guy that you couldn't submit to. <laughs> don't marry a guy that you're not willing to submit to, no matter how handsome he is, right? No matter uh, what kind of car he drives or how great his job is, those are not the measures, right? One of the, the significant things you should say is like, hey, is this, a, is, this a, is this a person that I would be happy to do life with and that I know that he would honor and love and cherish and protect me and the decisions he made for our family would, would bless me? That's the kind of person uh, that you want to look for if God has, has put you, put that in your heart, if you feel like that's what he's calling you to. A good friend and partner is preferable to an object of lust. Beauty is much more than skin deep. Uh, are you discarding someone who would be an excellent spouse because you didn't experience butterflies and, and a lightning bolt the first time that you saw them, right? Sometimes some, some of the best people just, you, you discover they're like, like wine, right? <laughs> like, uh, like fine wine, like with age. The more you get to know them, you're like, man, the more I get to know that person, the more I like that person. The first impression wasn't great, but, but it's great. And honestly, that would be a better person to spend your life with, right? Rather than the person that looks great in the beginning, but then like, as you begin to uncover, you're like, man, there's not much under the surface. There's much more we could say on that, but, but I just want to encourage you that, that you need to allow God and his picture for marriage be the thing that drives what you're looking for if you want a fulfilling and happy marriage, and if you feel like that's what God's caused you. On the flip side, if, if you're single and God has given you the gift of single ministry, move forward in confidence and affirmed boldness, right? Um, celebrate that God has given you a great opportunity to serve him in a unique and powerful way, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing, and, and as a church, we should, we should celebrate that, and we should embrace that. Verse 10, uh, he says, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord, the wife should, separate from her, should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Essentially saying this, if two Christians are married, there's a call and a command not to get divorced. 
And now Jesus does offer the exception, and, and he, you notice Paul said there, not I but the Lord. So he's, he's referencing specific commands from Jesus. And we know in Matthew 5 that Jesus says that um, uh, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce is, is what they said. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Um, so Jesus does say, hey, if someone um, takes sex outside of the marriage covenant, then they have broken the covenant. And in that case, there is you are released from it if you, you choose. You're not commanded to divorce, but that is a possibility if that's, if that's what happens, if it, if it can't be reconciled. But even then, there is always the option of, of restoration, of forgiveness, of, of bringing the marriage back together. And so it's a moment to really prayerfully consider what God might be doing in that situation. Um, it relates to an idol that's similar to the idol of sex, which is the idol of, of a perfect relationship. Right? Every single marriage takes work. There's no perfect person out there with whom you can just put it on autopilot and be like, all right, if I married them, my life would be easy. It would be simple. I wouldn't have to do anything. They would just bring me breakfast in bed every day. They'd be independently wealthy, so I wouldn't have to work, right? Like, that doesn't exist. I mean, maybe it does, but, you know, it, even if you found it, it wouldn't be what you thought it was, right? Um, but so sometimes we're like, we prefer a marriage other than the one we're in. I could promise you the one thing. If you're married today, the best marriage is the one you're in right now. And, and what you're going to find is that even if you're in a really difficult season, if you're in a difficult spot, if you put the hard, God-honoring work into to restoring your marriage, into pursuing your spouse, when you come out the other side of that challenge, you're going to have a relationship that is so beautiful and so powerful and so worth pursuing that you're going to thank God that he led you down that path. Like, uh, that, that's what he wants for you. Uh, he never wants you to bail out on the story that he's writing in your life. Now, I say all this knowing that there are a million different variants off of this story, right? But you don't understand, <laughs> you know, there's, there's abuse, there's neglect, uh, there's, 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 there's uh, some really difficult things. Here's what I would encourage you. If you're in a, in a difficult situation, um, you need to go, again, you need to go to the Bible and say, not was, what does my cousin tell me? What is the culture telling me? What did Dr. Phil tell me? You need to say, I don't even know if Dr. Does Dr. Phil still give advice or is he shut down? <laughs> I don't have the O network, so I don't know if he's on there. Right, but you need to go to the Bible and say, God, what do you say about what I should do in my marriage right now? We've got a really helpful book down in the, the resource room. It's called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. It goes through case studies of like different, hey, if this is your situation, here's what the Bible says about it. Uh, I would encourage you that if, if you're in a, in a tough spot, grab that book and say, hey, God, what do you say? And make your, your prayerful decision based off of that. I also want to say that the, the command here is clear. But I'll say this, if, if you have been divorced in an improper way in the past and have since remarried, I would encourage you with this, repent, go to God and say, Lord, I, I know that what I did was not what you wanted. It wasn't your way. I ask you to forgive me. But then I encourage you to receive the forgiveness that he's offering you and go in the marriage that you're in and make it a picture of God's redemption, of, of his blessing, of his love. Pour yourself in. Don't let that baggage keep you from enjoying and, and pursuing a beautiful marriage um, with your spouse that you're with. That's, that's how you love and honor God in the situation that you're in. Verse 12, he says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. And so what he's referencing here is earlier he was quoting, hey, this is what Jesus said when he taught on this. Now he's going to touch a subject that Jesus didn't touch on specifically. And so he's, he's, he's just helping them to understand that, right? He says, I, not the Lord, that if the brother has a wife who is an unbeliever 
and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, he should not divorce him. She should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So they're writing them, and they're concerned. There was a lot of, if you remember in the Old Testament, there was all these purity laws and these things. If you did this, that made you unclean. And if you touched this, that made you unclean. And their concern was like, hey, are we... If, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm married to someone who's not a follower of Jesus, does, does being intimate with them, does that actually make me unclean in the, in the eyes of the Lord? And, and Paul says, no. He says, honestly, it's, it's almost the, the opposite, right? By you being with them, there's a unique uh, expression of God's grace into their life. Now, when it says it makes them holy, it doesn't mean that they're receiving salvation, right? This is not your, your secret ticket into heaven, like, I'll just marry somebody who's a Christian, and then I get in uh, based on their coattails, right? That's not how it works. Um, we know that salvation is through faith in Christ. Uh, it's by grace alone, right? And it's, it's, it's individual. You don't get in based on your spouse. You don't get in based on your grandmother who prays for you every day, right? Like, you get in for you by putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Uh, but what he says is that don't bail out on the marriage. If you're in the marriage, honor the marriage covenant, whether the person was saved, whether you were saved when you made the covenant, whatever it is, honor the covenant that you are in and pray and seek that God might use you as a, as a significant witness into their life to help them ultimately come to know Jesus as their Savior as well. As long as they're willing to live and remain with you, you should remain with them, is what he says. Uh, but he says if they, if they leave, if they're like, you're a crazy Christian, I don't want to live with you anymore, I want to divorce you, I'm out, I'm done. If they choose to do that, then, then you're free, uh, free from, the, free from the, the bond. And so, man, these are heavy things. These are... Um, they're personal things. They touch on, on, on our lives in a very personal way. And so he doesn't say this flippantly, but he's trying to be helpful to help them say, how do I move? Because that's the question we're always asking, right? God, how do I move forward? I want to honor you. Sin has broken my situation. How do I take a step forward in what you're calling me to do? If you and your spouse do not share a faith in Jesus... Continue to be a daily display of the love, grace, mercy, and hope of Jesus. Put it on a display in a way that they can't deny. And be encouraged by the words of this passage that God is at work. He's doing something. And who knows whether your spouse might be saved through your witness. Regardless of your current status, uh, uh, the question is really, are you viewing sex from God's perspective and purpose? Are you overvaluing it in an idolatrous way? Is, uh, <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone <laughs> opens his heart, I will come in to him, right? Um, said Jesus. Uh, I, I'm grateful for that because with all the heaviness of all this, we can lose sight of the big picture. And, and the big picture is this, that um, God wants us to have this redeemed picture of sex that values it for what it is but doesn't turn it into an idol. Uh, we don't hate it. We don't worship it. We receive it for what it is. If it's part of the story that God has written for you, honor him with it. If it's not part of the story that God has written for you, honor him with, with what he has called you to.
we, we can get stuck in this thing of like, man, if I don't have this relationship, if I don't experience this, if this isn't what I ever get, that my life will never have meaning or worth or value or purpose. But Jesus stands in stark contrast to that, right? Jesus lived the most meaningful, beautiful, perfect life that anyone ever lived. And it didn't involve romantic love, right? It involved an overwhelming amount of love. He was the constant display of love. But he didn't need that to live a perfect life. You, none of us in this room, married, single, whatever our situation, we don't need that relationship to be full and complete as a person. We have everything we need in Jesus. And, and that's part of the key of unlocking this, right? Because when you realize that, then you don't put all this unnecessary weight on your spouse and what they're doing for you and their performance or, or, or the, the person that you hope to meet someday, right? You can be free. You can hold it with an open hand and say, God, what you bring to me, I accept and receive with joy. And, and what you, you remove or take away or what you move on, that's your prerogative. I don't need those things. What I need is you. And he gives himself fully to us and he gives us everything that we need. And the more that we live in that truth, the more that we can enjoy the good gifts that he does give you.